Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC. Generation BSC is our episodic revisiting of the Babysitter's Club book series and sadly no longer Netflix series, which we can touch on. But just to introduce the podcast real quick, we we revisit the Babysitter's Club and talk about what we loved as children, what we remember from when we were children, which this book clearly <laughs> not as much. We'll touch on that as well. But we talk about the Babysitter's Club, everyone who joined Generation BSC when we were kids, all the way up until now with you know new children picking these books up every day now that there's all the different iterations of them including graphic novels and joining generation bsc right along with us so today we are talking about book number 37 which is dawn and the older boy and i don't know if we want to talk about netflix or our predictions for this one but (laughs) there's going to be a lot of emotions before we even talk about the book itself Right. I think we should talk about the Netflix news a little bit because it's been, well, we'll be now a couple episodes back. You'll be hearing this. The news has been out for quite a while, but we recorded the previous two episodes before the news came out, came out like literally a day or two ago before we're recording this now. And I haven't stopped crying. And (laughs) that's barely an exaggeration. I mean, a little bit, but <laughs> I've been really, really more upset, especially um, did you read the Vulture uh, interview with Rachel Shukart? I haven't. I've been sort of living under a rock because of work, and I think it's sort of helped me <laughs> not be overly yeah. depressed. I think once I can climb out under this, uh, from under this rock, out of this hole, I will dive into all of the, the media around this and promptly be sad all over again, which I'm not looking forward to. Yeah, I think it's just... <sighs> I think one of the things that's saddest for me on like a grander scale, more so than just about this particular show, is that I think when the whole streaming boom started to happen, it was really sold as this, now we can make all these niche things mm-hmm. and there can be something for everybody and there's, you know, it's it's much more um, creative freedom, much more creativity, much more you know, ability to let it, I mean, I remember having a whole conversation with someone about how, you know, the devastation over Firefly was never going to have to happen again, because we've got all these, you know, options. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing things sort of start to narrow back down again, yep. especially when you if you read the Vulture article, or when you read the Vulture article, I should say, she does get into a lot of the, you know, uh, not nitty gritty is a little overly detailed, but you know, some of the more practical business side of the Netflix part of the decision making. Um, and one of the things that I found really interesting because of how, especially how we approached it is she said that one of the things that Netflix looks at is binge numbers and like how much of a splash it makes when it's first released. And, you know, everybody all watching it once really makes it, you know, pushes it up the top. And they said that that is not how people engaged with the show. And I know we did it the way we did it for podcasting purposes. But she was speaking more to, you know, the fact that kids, you know, parents aren't going to let kids sit down and just binge, you know, six, seven, eight hours of television at a time, maybe, hopefully, or that's that's less common than mm-hmm. adults. I don't know why why we feel better about doing it, <laughs> pushing 40 than I did as a 12-year-old, but, you know, whatever. And, and I've read a couple other things, either from articles, people talking about it, or just the various babysitters fan things that I engage with on the internet mm-hmm. about, you know, it, it was, it wasn't like somebody just sat down and watched by themselves. It was, you know, more family viewing or right. viewing with friends or, you know, like sitting down and talking about it together. In fact, um, on Pajiba, our, one of our favorite pop culture websites, uh, they wrote about it and, and were talking about how it was like family viewing. They would read the book ahead of time mm-hmm. and couldn't watch the episode until they read the book and then they could talk about it. And like, 
I think that's what's so great about it. So it's really sad that all this um, optimism I had for this era of streaming is sort of coming to an end and with it to an end to such an incredible show that I think had so much potential for where it was going in the future. Yeah, it is disappointing that, and I don't, I'm sure it's not just Netflix that does it, but like the thing, the only thing that really matters is those binge numbers or, you know, however many people watch the entire series in the first 30 days. And that's not, I mean, as much as I, like you were saying, as much as I love binging certain shows, like there are other shows, whether it's this show or other shows where I I do want to stretch it out because I don't want to watch it all in a weekend and then have to wait a year or maybe not enough people mm-hmm. have watched it and I'm never going to get more. And so I've, I've sort of not necessarily wasted the experience, but I've, I've, you know, crammed that experience into a lot shorter time frame, And it's disappointing that shows or not shows, but like the streaming services are only really looking at one thing. And it's sort of the same thing as back before streaming services, when it was, you know, looking at Nielsen numbers and, you know, if somebody recorded it on a VCR or a DVR, once that technology became, you know, readily available before they started looking at DVR numbers, like it was, you know, there could be a very loyal fan base and people that are following it and engaging with it in a way that, you know, passive viewers that of a show that might have, you know, millions and millions of viewers every week aren't engaging with it. But, you know, because there aren't enough eyes on it, it gets canceled or here, there's not enough people showing interest immediately and watching all of it, it gets canceled. And I, I do lament the fact that streaming services don't pay attention to what the media is and how people Mm -hmm. might be engaging with it. And especially with all of the social media, obviously we were not the only ones sort of taking our time with the second season and discussing each each episode, you know, in a very, you know, I mean, not to toot our own horn, but in a very thoughtful manner and really, you know, talking about it in connection with the books and talking about it in the ways that we are seeing it now versus maybe the way we would have seen it if we were watching this as kids or, you know, how kids today might be viewing those shows. And I know that there were other people doing the same things, whether it was on, you know, in the Facebook groups or on Instagram or on other um, podcasts about the Babysitter's Club or, you know, even just pop culture um, podcasts that we listen to. And I, it's... It's just disappointing that that's not something that Netflix or whoever really seems to care about, even though when the, when all of this started, it definitely seemed like something that they were interested in. And they were like, look at all mm-hmm. these opportunities we have to do things differently. And it hasn't been that long, and it's already back to sort of where things were before streaming services. And it's just disappointing, especially when it's a show like this that – means a lot to a lot of people and it might not be the biggest mm-hmm. group of people, but it's just really disappointing, especially, you know, since we relatively recently recorded our last episode on the sec on the second season of the show. And we're talking about all of the things that, you know, might be interesting to see or how they might tweak storylines from the books to continue them in the series and where that might go. And obviously we love everyone in the cast and the crew and the writers and the showrunners. And like, it's just so disappointing that we don't, we won't get to see them all you know, continue the story and where they could see this thing going. And I'm just sad. (laughs) Yeah. I I think one of the things that you said that really sort of struck me was that, you know, it maybe it wasn't for everybody, but it was for really, really important to, to a certain group. And I think that that is one of the things that is really starting to become more obvious in, in recent years. I mean, I guess it's been around for, for a long time, but this idea of that, like, 
something has to be for everyone mm-hmm. or else and and of course I mean, we we could conservatively have an entire podcast on what the version of for everyone. I use very big scare quotes mm-hmm. around that because everyone is is typically what they think of as a you know white male spending money and on their family, right? You know, right. Since replacing this in time, pretty close to the turning red controversy with I, I can't see myself in this. It's too specific. It says a white man who every piece of media has right. been catered to. For, <laughs> yes, I'm so know. sorry that this one piece of media is not exactly for you. And maybe you're not even trying to see if there's anything that might potentially relate to your life. Exactly. So I think that this, the idea that because it wasn't for everyone, it wasn't worthy. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know, it's just sad. I with you, especially on the binge, more and more recently on the binging, actually, I for a while there got very into. I loved the fact that I could watch everything all at once. But you said, you know, waiting a year in between. One of the things that I realized is how much, especially when I binge it, it's there and then gone. Right. And then by the time the next season comes around, I'm like, wait, what even happened? You know, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel just came back after like two years off the air and it just picked up. I was like hoping for some kind of a, you know, previously on, you know, like last season on mm-hmm. because I was like, wait, wait, where where is this? Side note, I don't actually know if I like that show, but I can't stop watching it. So anyway. Cosign. I watched this entire last season and every episode I was like, I hate everybody on the show. I hate all of I hate all of you. Why am I still watching this? But yeah. I couldn't not watch it. <laughs> exactly. It's like it's definitely entertaining in a like I'm not bored. I'm enjoying it while I'm I, I'm not enjoying. I don't know. Very I have very strange feelings mm-hmm. about that. But more and more I realize, especially with shows that I like, like if I watch one episode and I'm like, ooh, I'm really going to like this, I make more of a concerted effort to pace it out. Mm-hmm. I'm still not great at like waiting a week, although a bunch of rewatch podcasts I've been doing has has been helpful for that. Like I'm watching New Girl once a week now to, to rewatch mm-hmm. with the podcast. And same with It's Always Sunny. Um, but side note, both of those episodes or both of those podcasts are great, especially the It's Always Sunny one is fantastic. If you if you are a fan of any of those people, it's just like getting to hang out with them for, you know, a half an hour, an hour a week. What, Regardless, it sticks more, right? Mm-hmm. It stays around more. And, and that was one of the reasons we chose to do the Netflix series in that way so that we could have time to really sit with it and digest it. And I'm really realizing how, and I, I know that I'm certainly not alone. This is not a unique perspective or <laughs> I didn't come up with this. But, you know, more and more conversation is happening around that, that, that there's something to be said for that week over week and those Mm -hmm. water cooler moments and that the way that it stays with you longer. I mean, I just think of how I know, I know like every beat of Buffy and I, I mean, I'm trying to think of the last time I watched that series all the way through. I remembered all of those. Whereas if you asked me what happened in last season of the last show I binged, I don't know. And that's been 20 years, Mm -hmm. 25 years even. So I, you know, it's, it's an interesting back and forth. I don't I think that there are some shows that are are perfect for a binge, but others are better to sit with. And I, I wish there was more consideration of of being room for both, mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, I I don't know that there's anything else I can add to that because I, I think it's just unfortunate that it, there's just, you know, one way to look at everything and everything isn't the same. Uh, I mean, <laughs> that's like yeah. the, the most generic way to say that, but it sort of is what it is. And we're very sad about yeah. 
this show not being in our lives going forward. But at least we do still have those two first seasons and they're exactly. wonderful and we love them and we'll probably continue to revisit them. So um, oh, absolutely. At, at least we still have that. I, I mean, that's like yes. the, the most minuscule of silver linings. And obviously, we now also have been introduced to all of the people on that show, whether we already knew them or they're, you know, the new child actors <laughs> that are, you know, playing all mm-hmm. of our, our favorite girls. So I, I guess at this point, I'm just very excited to see what they all do next and, you know, what the, the showrunners and the writers do, because they all clearly did an amazing job with this. And I'm sure they're all going to go on to do amazing things. I certainly hope that they have the opportunity to go on and do amazing things. Cosign a million percent. And, and we are really thank you, everyone involved in the show mm-hmm. before the screen, behind the screen for creating something just so, so lovely and wonderful. And um, yeah, cannot wait to see what they do next. Exactly. So speaking of next, I think we should do something pretty radical for us and just start with talking about what the book is about before we <laughs> Not diving start into analyzing it. <laughs> I know, especially coming from me, that's a pretty radical concept. That is true. I'm usually the one saying, let's let's take a beat. <laughs> we yeah, are like 10 yeah. minutes into the discussion, like, oh, right, we never did that. Let's do that. Thank you for being the one to do that this week, because I was about to dive into the conversation as usual. So I think part of the reason I wasn't so like, gung-ho to just dive right into the conversation is I don't have as strong of feelings as I do for some of the other ones. So That's I'm not a good as point. like, oh boy, we need to like, oof, clear the decks. Yeah. We've got to have a discussion. <laughs> like there's plenty to talk about here. And I say spoiler alert to my overall like feelings about the book is it's not nearly as strong as some of the other ones. Not not that that's necessarily bad, just yeah. I think that's why I'm, I'm more like, oh, yeah, let's let's actually remember how we designed the podcast in the <laughs> right. first place. Well, yeah, I, and not to spoil my end result, too, but I, it's not – there's no strong feelings in either direction, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's just, okay, that, that was fine. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't engender huge swings either direction. So, like you said, we have lots yeah. to talk about, but – at least we're not, you know, getting into this after that not so, not necessarily difficult conversation, but hard conversation about our our sadness at the show ending. Exactly. At least this episode is now not going to devolve into us, you know, going off the rails and you know whether good or bad and being overly right. overly dramatic, which God we would never do, right? <laughs> right. Or or even worse, if our my off the wall third rail prediction from from last episode was true and it turned into a you know a Lurleen McDaniel style between that I like it would have been fitting after the cancellation of the series, but I don't know that my heart could have handled it. I I think we would have had to like postpone recording for a week or two yeah. before we dived into a Lurleen McDaniel Babysitters Club book because I yeah I don't think that we could have gotten through it without just breaking down into sobs and right you know gross sniffles and no one wants to hear that so yeah, <laughs> luckily yeah, not, we're not, not a good there. look so why don't you give us the back of the book description of dawn and the older boy you have got it when dawn meets travis she knows he's the perfect boy for her travis is good looking he eats health food he's from california and he likes dawn but marianne and the rest of the babysitters aren't quite sure about travis First of all, he is much older than Dawn, and they don't like the way Travis is always telling her what to do. Does Travis like Dawn as much as he says he does? The babysitters don't know, but they're not going to let Dawn get hurt by an older boy. 
I mean, yeah. Kind of. Kind of, except the babysitters don't really know anything that's going on until Dawn tells them. So it's not so yeah. much that they're like, I can't believe he's telling you what to do. Like sort of like our predictions for this book where it was like maybe the girls are upset that, that Dawn's getting pulled away from them and Dawn's trying to fit in with this other group of friends. And that doesn't happen at all. She's sort of like dealing with all of these issues, concerns. She doesn't mm-hmm. really see them necessarily as issues until she lays it all out for the babysitters. And they're like, actually, that's not great. Right? But but it's not like it's not like a back and forth between Dawn and the babysitters. It's more Dawn's has her sort of side quest or main story quest, and the rest of them are just sort of in the dark dealing with you know a, a play at the Hobart's house with the Perkins girls, and you know what may or may not be happening with that piece of shit kid Zach from Ugh, a couple books yeah. ago, and they don't know anything until an offhanded comment about the boy and his girlfriend, Don's suddenly spiraling and telling them everything. I think the the fact that you use the word or the phrase side quest is pretty telling. And I think that that it sort of hits the nail on the head for what I was trying to come up with, why I was so sort of landed on a shoulder shrug with this one. Mm-hmm. And it's because her main plot does feel more like a side quest. Right. And it, it kind of felt unfocused and loses a little bit of steam. Like, Specifically, the Zach stuff, by the way, is like far more strong around that point, around the changing yourself for someone else to fit in, to get them to like you. Whereas I get that that sort of started that with Travis, but like they really only had that one conversation where he was like, try these combs, you should change your hair. And then that one outing, it didn't, I I don't know, it didn't feel like he was overly pushing things on her. It didn't, it felt like this was more coming from Dawn than from him. I mean, parts of it, sure. And and yes, I don't know. It, that's why it, it felt muddled to me, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Like the whole plot line felt a little muddled. I think the fact that, I wish it would have either been that he was, so at the end of the day, his conversation with her is, I should back up just a little bit and well, maybe actually, we should do let you actually give the description. Yeah, I was yeah that's say, what I, I said before feel, we we did sort of we have to we started we started down the right path and then we of course got derailed talking because that's what we always do. But yeah, let's. Yeah. Well, why don't you tell us when we are in the history of the world and who actually wrote this one, and then I can do the our description that's a little bit more detailed and nuanced. You got it. So this one came out in September 1990, um, and it we have another ghostwriter. This is Mary Lou Kennedy. So I, I thought overall she did a really good job of nailing, you know, the tone and it feeling very – it felt very coherent and consistent. Mm-hmm. In fact, I didn't really realize there was a ghostwriter until after when yep. you had put together the recording guide. So that's a good thing. I think that did – that you know, because sometimes we can – you can really sort of feel the – the difference. Yeah. But when that was pointed out, there were a couple of details that I went, oh, yeah, that's different than how this has been talked about before. So that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, overall, overall, I thought it was it was I wouldn't have known unless it was pointed out. Yep. Agreed. I was surprised as I was doing the recording guide that it wasn't Anna Martin still. So, OK, so our slightly more detailed <laughs> description of the plots here. So the John specific plot. The Babysitter's Club meets a new boy in town, Travis, after a sleepover at Christie's house. Travis is from California and eats granola and is gorgeous, so of course Don is immediately in love, despite the fact that he's 16 and Marianne's reminder that just because Don likes him doesn't mean he'll ask her out. Surprisingly, however, Travis does show up at Don and Marianne's house to give Don a gift that comes with detailed instructions on how she should dress and cut and style her hair. Then he shows up again after school one day to drive Don home. After a long shopping 
and snacking trip through downtown, that is, where Travis doesn't give her much autonomy about what they do or what she gets to eat at an establishment called Burger Bite, and he finally tries to pressure her into spontaneously getting a third hole pierced in each ear. Despite him dropping something like infinity red flags, Don remains completely smitten with Travis and thinks he knows everything. Christy inadvertently reveals that Travis has a girlfriend, and Don decides to follow them after school to see if it's really true and to try to make some sense of the situation. It is unfortunately true, and Don is heartbroken. She finally tells the Babysitter's Club about what's been going on, and they tell her he's a rat, and Marianne tells her that she has an even better guy for her, Logan's cousin, Louis. Don's not sold on Lewis yet, but she decides to confront Travis after following him and his girlfriend again. It doesn't go well, and then Travis reveals that he's a garbage person who thinks he was trying to help her by giving <laughs> suggestions on to make her a better version of herself in a conversation where he continually downplays Don's feelings and gaslights her. So maybe this is her punishment for gaslighting Marianne? Ultimately... <laughs> Ultimately, Dawn learns her lesson that she should see herself for how great she actually is and becomes pen pals with Logan's cousin, making plans for his upcoming trip to Stony Brook to visit Logan and Dawn. And the Babysitter's Club specific plot. So as noted already, most of the book is focused on Dawn, but the overarching subplot deals with a play written by Ben Hobart's eight-year-old brother, James, that stars his brothers, the Perkins girls, and the Perkins' dog, Chewbacca, about a dog that gets lost in a mall. The kids have a great time with it, but, and I already called him this, that piece of shit child Zach who treated James and Susan <laughs> Felder like shit very recently continues to be a piece of shit and bullies James into not working on the play or taking enjoyment in it. He treats James poorly and tries to get him to change to be more like what Zach thinks he should be, and surprise, that's to be just like Zach. It doesn't amount to much ultimately, as James doesn't learn the lesson Don does, but Marion realizes the connections and uses a notebook entry to point out to Don that she and James need to learn the same lesson, that they're great as is and don't need to let anyone change them. Yeah. So here's my first question. Do you think that Travis actually had any interest in Don in a romantic sense ever at all? I don't. I don't either. Like, I think, for me, one of the biggest things that stood out, even more so than in any other book as I was reading this one, is how different my perspective on it reading this now as mm -hmm. an adult must be. I genuinely don't really remember much of this from a kid, especially as I was reading it. Yeah. I was like, no, this isn't really coming back to me. Which... Side note, I maintain that there is a plot line where one of the girls is trying to impress a boy and, like, turns her back on the club. I remember that mm -hmm. being a thing. I, and Lord knows we're going to get plenty of other boy-related opportunities as the books go on. So I'm going to just sort of put a pin in that. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Because that, that was part of the reason why when we were doing predictions, I was very much like, oh, yeah, and, like, the movies. And like you said, we both <laughs> we yeah. both sort of glommed onto the movie aspect of it. But there is there's definitely at least one other book where – there's a group of other friends with a guy that one of the girls is interested in, and she turns her back. It's sort of like uh, Claudia and the new girl, but with a, a love interest. Boy. And yeah, a group exactly. of friends, not just Ashley Wyeth. Right. But in this, for this one, especially at the beginning, I was like, oh, Dawn, he is not interested in you at all. And I was really shocked when, like, he drove up to the house and sat down with mm -hmm. her. And it, so my first thought was not about, like, my first thought was, oh, my God, this is a grooming situation that we're looking That's at. That's 100% what like, I thought, too. I was, I was so like, scared Whoa. reading this book. Yes. I was like, this is I, – I was like, oh, boy. I've been on Reddit too long because I'm seeing <laughs> grooming red flags all over the place. This is terrifying, um, especially in that first conversation. So then – and this is why I think the message got muddled. 
And then to find out that he's not interested in her romantically. He's been dating this other girl, Sam, and he just thought he was trying to help her. Like, clearly he's an awful person, and he talks about himself constantly. But, like, during that first date outing, I w- all I could think, especially when I was still on that grooming track, was that he can't get girls his age to believe his bullshit. Right. And that's why he needs this 13-year-old girl, which, uh, by the way, did we mention that he is – uh, at 16 yeah. at least. They they don't specify, but he drives. So he's got to be at least 16. And well, he must be only 16 because... Yeah, because Don, Don is surprised that thing. he has his license because no one gets their license at 16, which makes zero sense. Which, especially in 1990. I was say, like, what? Yeah. Side note, I was going to say, I mean, that's this is more of a random observation. I sort of had it saved for there. But since it came up organically... I'm glad that you agree with me that that is total bullshit, because at least in my experience, it was 15 and a half. You could get your learner's permit. You got it like on your birthday and then you scheduled your test for like your sweet 16. And that was, you know, it, it was a big ass deal to well, be driving at 16. Back back in my day, a couple years before you and certainly back <laughs> in the 90s, you couldn't even get your learner's permit, at least in Ohio, until you actually were 16. So I, I got my learner's permit on my 16th birthday and then I got my license on August 1st. So you couldn't – after I turned 16 but before my brother did and my brother's your age – that's when Ohio changed all the rules to you could get your permit at 15 and a half and then you could get your license the day you turn 16. So, but yeah, even even when I was, uh, you know, under under the old rules when 16 was when you could get your learner's permit, like everyone, like immediately, day you turn 16, get your temps. And then as soon as you can, Mm -hmm. after you do your driving lessons and do however many hours you need to do, I don't even know if we had an hours requirement the way there is now, but it was like, Get it done as fast as possible and take that test so you can drive. <laughs> right. Oh, God, temps. That's, yeah. I don't, I wonder if anybody else, that was definitely an Ohio thing. We called yeah. our learner's permit our temps. And everybody was very proud of having, I, I had my temps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. That just made me feel so old. I know. <laughs> but, I, but I do vividly remember, I, I can at, like sense memory myself, my very first drive alone in that car. Mm-hmm. It was like, the most incredible feeling in the world. So anyway, we are nowhere near that with our girls. But, well, one of the other things was there were restrictions, though, when you turned 16 and were able to drive yourself that you weren't allowed to drive anyone else unless they were over the age of 18. Like, you weren't allowed to drive other people around. So a 16-year-old picking up an 11-year-old Well, that school, that was also a rule when you got yours. I was able to drive whoever I wanted as soon as I got my license. Oh, well, so apparently my gen- my slightly older micro generation was way more yeah. responsible and able to drive whoever they wanted whenever they wanted. <laughs> or, or we screwed up, up so, bad. so badly that you guys had to be punished. <laughs> Sorry. It certainly wasn't me. I didn't get in any trouble driving. Yeah. But I love that we're talking about it like that's a huge gap. It I was know. Like less than three years <laughs> difference. <laughs> so circling back to the 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 story of this book specifically and yeah. Travis in particular. And, you know, I didn't really think about it as much, but when you asked, like, do you think he even liked her at all? And obviously, I I agreed with you wholeheartedly. I don't think he did at all. And it, But I think reading this, I didn't even really think about it that much. And now it's sort of more in retrospect because I was – as I was reading, I was so much much more focused on, like, the grooming potential and, like, Mm -hmm. is this going somewhere, like, nefarious? I don't know. But looking back, like, why is he even hanging out with Dawn? You know, like, 
Yeah. Like there's no reason for a 16 year old boy to be like, oh, you should wear your hair like this. Oh, you should wear blue. Oh, here's some combs for your hair. Here's a necklace. Like, let me take you out and buy you some earrings. Like, what's the point if, if not, I like you and I want to date you or I'm super shady and I'm trying to groom you because like you were saying, no other girls my age will like me. So I have to take advantage of younger girls who will be in awe of me because I'm older. Like, I, I guess and, I just don't understand. Yeah, like, what is his motivation? Especially because when she purposely bump into him and his girlfriend, Sam. Isn't it Sam? I think, I think it's, it's anyway, Sarah. Done, Sarah. Whatever. Sarah, Sam. Done Close right enough. She's a redhead. She's she's a non-entity in the story, other, other than as an obstacle to Dawn and Travis's love. But... You know, she's not surprised. She knows exactly who Dawn is. Clearly, Travis has talked about her, has told her that he was, like, trying to help her out. I, I mean, I don't know about you, but even at 16, if I was talking to a guy, regardless of how gorgeous they were, and he was like, oh, yeah, I've made a 13-year-old my pet project, and I'm, like, trying to help her style, that would be, you know, infinity red flags there, right. too. But, uh, seriously, like, what is his motivation if he's not trying to date her and it's not like she is 11, where it might make sense where he saw her as, like, a cute kid sister that he wanted to, right. like, help out and went about it in the wrong way. Like, I think the thing is his character makes no sense. And I get that we're only seeing it from Dawn's perspective, which is why, like, she's saying over and over again he likes her. And I'm like, yeah, I'm bullshit <laughs> yeah, on that does, one. Honey. <laughs> yeah, he does, honey. Yeah, exactly. And I think that we're supposed to get that. But then – what the fuck was he doing? Right. Like, what? what is the point? Why? Why? Like, you're – what 16-year-old boy wants to hang out with probably – especially in the 90s, like, it was not, like, really that cool to, like, hang out with just, like, one girl if unless you were dating her, especially a girl that was three exactly. years younger than you. Like, I just – there. I think that's why both of us went to that, like, grooming – dark path because there's mm-hmm. literally no reason because it's very clear that he doesn't actually like her like her which would be its own you know sort of red flag three years difference is maybe not terrible but 13 to 16 is a little problematic a big, yes no that uh, more very, not not a little say. problematic very problematic but yeah. like so but at least we could sort of if it, if that was the way that it went it would be like okay i i don't like this but in the 1990s, I can kind of understand why they were, like, doing this as a storyline. But it's very clear that he doesn't mm-hmm. actually like her. And it's also very clear that he's not grooming her. He's not hanging out with her because he can't get girls his own age. There's there's really exactly. nothing nefarious, like I was saying. There's something really nefarious about what he's doing. Aside from just being kind of a creep. Like, what what are you doing? Like, why are you hanging out with this child and telling her how to style her hair and how to cut her hair and that she should... And trying to pressure her into getting a third hole pierced in her ears? Like, she's 13. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't know what it was like in 1990 to get your ears pierced, but I'm pretty sure in this actual book series, you had to have a parent with you to get your ears pierced, or at least a note from a parent. Oh, absolutely you did. It was... I remember trying to... um at. 14 we were on a freshman choir trip and we like had well we did end up getting our ears pierced yeah but that was probably like myrtle beach or something i'm assuming because we did the same thing when i was in high school yeah and myrtle beach is a little bit (laughs) a little bit loose with their right their parental approval requirements 
but it was something like yeah. that. And it was definitely a Claire's. And looking back, it was probably like a 16-year-old working there to begin with. Right. He wasn't exactly like... But I remember we we first went to the Piercing Pagoda because that was like the, the better place to get your ears pierced. And they wouldn't because you had to be 18 or have a parent. Mm-hmm. And somehow we talked to the teenager into Claire's into doing it for us. So, like, I, I guess it would have been possible. But it certainly wasn't allowed or you right. weren't supposed to. Whereas... I don't know. Uh, like, but either, even more than that, like, you're right. What is his motivation? Like, what is he trying to do? At, uh, that's why I think I, I keep coming back to being so, like, uh, meh about it. Because I think if they had – it didn't have to go to a super dark place. But right. if they had sort of stuck more towards this older boy was trying to shape Dawn into becoming – what he wanted her to be and really like more leaned into that and not brought this actual girlfriend into it. I think it would have been a far more impactful story. It didn't have to get over, like we said, it didn't have to get overly dark. Like as an adult, we could read it and see like how that could go, you know, in a, in a more realistic setting, really, really dark, really really quick. But for a little kid, for a little kid, but for, for the young people reading it, it would be a good message. Hey, this older person is taking interest in me. They want to change me. That's not a good thing, blah, blah, blah. And that's why I think the girlfriend confuses the the messaging mm-hmm. so much because then, it, then he just is a bizarro – it makes him unrealistic as a character because who does that? What is that about? What is going on there? Right. Especially since he does at, – at, like, at first I thought he, we were going to find out he was full of shit. Like, right. he wasn't good at these sports. That These girls didn't like him. And that nobody in the high school bought his bullshit and that's why he was looking to Dawn. But it sounds like – oh, that's true. Right. That he is. He's actually playing three sports in one season, which I don't think is actually a thing any high school will let you do. But, like – but he right. he actually does make all the teams. You know, Christy talks about Charlie and Sam talking about him, you know, being on the track team and on the football team and on the basketball team and the swim team and blah, blah, blah. And, like, you know – Exactly. So, it, it, yeah, I think it would have made way more sense if he was – very hyperbolic and you know the big twist was that he's actually a big nerd and doesn't really have any friends and you know Don had shown some interest within him at um Christie's house and so he sort of because he's new in town he only really knows Charlie and Sam but they probably have big groups of friends and maybe he hasn't been able to like work his way into making friends with the whole group and there's this girl who likes him and you know even though she's a little bit young and he shouldn't like her you know he has something and you know i don't know i'm i i I, like i feel i don't really like that i'm like trying to justify this because i don't think there's any real reason where it's actually justified but i could at least understand it a little bit if if the the grooming aspects of it were tied into him like maybe trying to make himself feel better or look better in a certain way i don't know but even then it's it's still gross because he's 16 and she's 13 and it, it yeah, I just I don't know. I feel like the more I, we talk about this, the less I like this book. I I agree. I, I was just thinking the same thing, especially because I don't know. It, he's just such an a, and I think the biggest problem that I keep coming back to is that we are only getting Dawn's perspective right. on him, and we've talked repeatedly over the course of these. Now we're at book thirty-seven, not to count the super specials and TV shows and all of that fun stuff, but. We know that they can be unreliable narrators. Right. Like we're getting this from Dawn's perspective. She likes him. She wants him to like her. So she's, you know, seeing what she wants to see. That I think is great. That, in, in fact, a lot of Dawn's crushing on him. Oh, God, it almost made me cringe in certain places. The way that she would talk about him and or like, 
either in her inner monologue or like to the babysitter's club where she's like trying to casually be like so have you heard anything yeah. about Travis? <laughs> I'm like, I was like, oh God, but so relatable yep. and so good. And so, you know, like, yep, that's exactly what it's like. It's still like that. I'm, we're, I, you know, we're, we're approaching 40 and I still am like, if I like somebody, I'm like, so just really casual. You know, you don't want to like overly play your card. I don't know. It just, that felt all very real. Yeah. The only thing that I can think of to sort of justify why he was talking to her in the first place Christy mentions that, you know, the reason he tried out for swimming is because this girl that then becomes his girlfriend. But earlier in the book, and, and it just came back to me, Don mentions that uh, all the tr- clubs he's he came into or got became a part of. And she mentions the Latin club and was surprised about that one because it's mostly girls. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe he's just a straight up narcissist who just wants everybody to be in love with him. And so he's noticed Don's interest Mm -hmm. and tried to encourage that to make himself like feel better. And I guess that would make sense. That could, I, if you like look under not feel better, but like inflate his ego further. Right. Oh, this girl likes me. So I'm going to, I don't know (sighs) because they had conversations about whether or not he was leading her on. And I kind of went back and forth on that too, because in some ways, yes. The fact that he's paying attention to her at all is definitely making her think that he's interested. But he doesn't do anything overly, like, aside from the gift. I don't know. I, well, but he so shows strange. up, like, multiple times with – and so he has gifts. He shows up at her house with gifts. He takes her out. After, he shows up at school to pick her up, take her home. But he, t- like, takes her on this, you know, whirlwind adventure downtown, including buying her more gifts. Because, like, one of the big things that narcissists do is, like, love bombing, which you can do yeah. with, you know, whether it's words or time or physical or gifts. Like, which that's – and I think that's when I was, like, really feeling like he was grooming her because he was, like, mm-hmm. you know, showering her with gifts and, like, putting all this attention on her and like telling her what, you know, how she's great, but here's how she could be even greater if she, you know, did X, Y, and Z, wore blue all the time and, you know, fixed her hair in a certain way. And like, and that, that was really what made me think maybe he was a narcissist because he talks about himself all the time. He doesn't actually care about anything about Dawn. He like literally never Mm -hmm. asked her a question about herself. So other than like when they first meet and, and Christy or Charlie or somebody is like, oh, Dawn's from California too. Like that's literally all he knows about her is that, You know, he takes her to a restaurant called Burger Bite, and then he orders for her. Luckily, he orders grilled cheese for both of them. But, like, there is no reason why Don would ever go to a restaurant called Burger Bite because – a grilled cheese is also not healthy. It is it is at least a vegetarian. But like Dawn, right. I cannot see Dawn, at least the Dawn in the books, I could never see this Dawn ordering a grilled cheese. And I'm guessing it came with French no. fries, which she certainly would never order. And so it's like right? everything is about him and getting attention from her. And like the the showering of the gifts is to get the focus on him, not because he actually cares about Dawn. Because like I said, he doesn't know anything about her he doesn't ask her anything about her he doesn't want to get to know her because he just likes the attention Mm -hmm. yeah i think i got a little confused or a little um it it started to throw me off a little because it really he did do all of that you're absolutely right and that's where i was starting to get nervous but then he just disappears like he it, it really is only those they meet and then it's those two encounters which are bad from top to bottom but like nothing about them he disappears good. when he gets a girlfriend 
That's a great point. And that's exactly what I was just thinking. I was like, yep, you know what? It, that's exactly what it is. He finds an actual person, an appropriate person right. that he actually likes and then drops her like a hot potato. But I don't think the book does enough to really like show that that's or explain true. that yeah. he's not no longer hanging out with her because he now has this girlfriend, especially because of that encounter with the three of them. Like I said, that that he's so like not upset about seeing her that the girlfriend knows exactly who she is that it, it's treated as such a like oh yeah it's this little girl i'm friends with mm-hmm. not like and i don't know i again i think we we're sort of suffering a little bit from not getting his perspective or not seeing anything about travis that's not through dawn's eyes yeah because i think it would make more sense that yeah he's going after she's he's new in town this girl's showing him interest he's going after her and then he realizes that he can actually get this better quote unquote better girl from his perspective and so he drops her like a hot potato but they were never really i don't know it's 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 all very strange it, none of it's good no strange. it's just it it doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense but at the same time i guess that is also true of relationships at any time, but especially at that age where they don't always make sense. And you are in your own head and mm-hmm. so you have your own interpretation of it and you don't know what that other person is thinking and feeling. And so it can feel like, I mean, God knows I've been on dates where I've been, I've walked away and been like, that was the worst date I've ever been on in my life. And then had somebody call me the next day and be like, I've never had a better time. I can't wait to see you again. And I'm like, what was happening with you because i was on the same date and i did not get that exactly yeah so i I mean it just it kind of feels like when they were you know breaking the story for this one they were like what if don was interested in an older boy and they were like oh well we can't do exactly that like it it needs to be different than boy crazy stacy okay how can we make it different and like Mm -hmm. the thing is like they can't actually have a 16-year-old dating one of our girls. You know, like that even in 1990, like they would not have gone that far. And so they had to figure out a way where like Don was getting actual attention from an older boy, but it didn't rise to the level of like what Marianne and Logan have. Like she's he's not right. going to be her boyfriend and I think that they sort of had difficulty and weren't able to stick the landing because they were like, okay, we've we've got, you know, half a story, but they can't end up together because that's inappropriate, you know? So they were like, well, what can yeah. we do? How can we, like, mix this up? Like, it has to end with Dawn, you know, realizing she's great. Maybe we find another boy for her to like, but but how do we get there? You know, they had, like, the, the initial storyline and they had the ending where, you know, maybe this Lewis character – I don't remember Lewis at all, but maybe he shows up in a couple books in the future in the future and like she Don and Lewis have a connection and maybe we get other mentions of him and like they wanted to have another sort of boy that one of them has more of a connection to that's a little bit continuous, but maybe not to the same degree as Logan and Marianne. And so they were like, Okay, let's get there where she realizes this boy is not appropriate for her, but like how do we get from them being, you know, quote unquote, together to her realizing she should be with Lewis instead or like Lewis instead. Mm-hmm. And they they weren't really sure how to get from point A to point B. And this is what we ended up with. Yeah, I, I that's a really interesting perspective, especially because as you were like talking through that, I, I think it could have gone in a similar but slightly different direction where the, they had started it actually having it being a grooming plot that like this it was this older boy it was always nefarious it was never supposed Mm -hmm. to be them like 
romantic ending up together. The the message was supposed to be that Don was should like get away from him, you know, that 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 it actually was a little bit more real life and a little bit scary and then maybe pulled back on that idea. Like, ooh, that's a little yeah, bit Yeah, that's too, much too dark for, for a kid's book. Yeah. And so sort of like took a hard turn halfway through. But all of those presume that they like wrote half the book and then changed their mind instead of having like a whole plot laid out and then wrote the book after. I don't know. I, well, I don't but know even if they process, were like so. outlining, which I'm sure these books, especially once they, we got to Ghostwriters, there was like an outlining process. And I just feel like they, they even in the outlining, they just didn't know a good way to mm-hmm. to get from point A to point B. And this was the best they could come up with. And then, you know, our, our girl, whatever her name is, Marianne, Mary Lou Kennedy, she did the best yeah. she could with the outline that she was given. But it just wasn't a great outline to start with. So she there was only so yeah. much she could do to try to salvage it. And this is what she came up with to try to write this ship. But it just... Yeah, it just... Muddled is a word I just keep coming yeah. back to. It just feels uh, murky and just, uh, you know, unclear in what it was going for. What I, Like, certain parts of the message are very clear. The whole changing yourself for someone else is a bad idea. That's great. And that is absolutely a message I can get on board with, especially for kids. But like I said, I because I, I don't know how much there left there is to say about the Dawn and especially the, the Travis of it all. Other than Travis is the perfect name for that character. <laughs> 100%. The Zach and James Hobart storyline much more clearly articulates that idea. And that's interesting because that's usually not the case where the B plot is the stronger on the message mm-hmm. than the A plot. where Because it's usually they have, you know, similar themes, but the B plot is meant to, like, bolster the message. And I think that's what they think they're doing here with the whole Marianne writing it in the notebook and, oh, Don, you should really read my observations about Zach and James and how that applies to you and Travis. But at that point, Travis hadn't been trying to change Dawn for quite some time. He had been out of the picture for her, for or she had been out of his picture for, it sounds like weeks at right. that point. So it, it didn't quite connect the way that I think they thought it was going to, but yeah, God, what a f- piece of shit character Zach is. And my frustration is, they keep sort of commenting on that, but no one is like getting a having a strong enough reaction to the absolute vile shit that flies out of this kid's mouth. I mean, dragging Susan Fielder into it again, which we don't need to relitigate. You can go back and listen to our our two special episodes about the secret of Susan because that's you know a really important topic. So I, I hated. That, you know, immediately made my my neck mm-hmm. bristle. The whole it's girls things, what's girl th- or what's boy things versus what's girly things. That that misogyny just screaming from there. The idea that you have to talk right to fit in in America. Mm-hmm. Like that brings up all sorts of really disgusting connotations, especially with where we are in the world now, especially in America. You know, I I, I wanted more of a reaction from people especially the fact that james just kept going off with him i really would have loved someone in the babysitter's club to be like hey james you know you are great the way Mm -hmm. that you are you do not have to follow after this dirt bag like i understand you want to fit in but let's you know you're fitting in great this is this one asshole right that's telling you you suck like i i wish that had been more of the main plot and and that had been more of or at least maybe happening in a different book where it yeah. got its own 
like consideration because there's so much there that I would have really loved and wa- really wanted to get into because just nobody was interrogating it at all. It was more just, oh, that's really sad. Right. <laughs> well, because <laughs> do something. Because I think the first time Zach shows up when they're rehearsing the play, I think Jesse is babysitting at that point. And, and it's like the first time we're seeing anything about this play. And Zach comes in and is like, why are you hanging out with these girls? You should hang out with boys and do skateboarding and play football and don't call your mom, mom. And like, James actually stands up to him at that point and like doesn't go off with him. Exactly. He continues playing. And like, but we get Jesse's like statement or, you know, Dawn's statement of Jesse's thoughts of like, you know, she was proud of him for standing up to Zach, but like, does she tell him that she's proud of him? No. And right. like through all of these, and like it, each time we see this play being rehearsed or being put on for real, Zach shows up every time. And each time James has like less and less resolve until he goes off and like doesn't get to enjoy putting on a successful play that everybody's having a great time watching. And like, and no one is, you know, we get Marianne saying in the notebook, hey, this happened to James. Don, pay attention. Instead of being like, like you said, James, you're awesome. You're doing a great job with this play. Yeah. You're having a great time with your brothers and the Perkins girls. Like, just because they're girls doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends with them. Don't listen to this piece of shit kid. Like, I, I, and like, the fact that they just let him come around and like, obviously they're not parents. They can't really police any of this stuff, but it's like, why is this kid allowed to come and hang out? He sucks. Like, mm-hmm. he's treating the child that you are supposed to be taking care of for this afternoon. He is treating him like shit. He's making this kid yes. feel terrible, and you guys are just letting it happen. You're feeling bad that it's happening, but you're not doing anything, anything to stop it. Not even having a conversation with a kid who is being made to feel like shit to make him try yeah. to feel any better. You're not doing anything. And I, it, it's so frustrating because I agree with you. I think that there is a lot to be unpacked in this storyline, and I think that it got short shrift in this one. And I think that it could have been a really interesting plot line where it maybe could have gotten a little bit more focus and we could have gotten some more focus from our babysitters about what's going wrong in that situation and how you maybe should react instead of because the way that we leave it, Marianne's like, yeah, James is great. He should stand up for himself. But they just leave it with James being bullied by this kid and going along with Mm -hmm. him. And like, if I'm a six, seven, eight year old reading this book, maybe I'm not consciously thinking about it, but that's ending up in my subconscious somewhere that sometimes it's just easier to do what the bully says. And I don't like that as a message for kids reading this book. I don't like it as a message for adults reading this book. It sucks. Exactly. And you know what? I really for I was I was really optimistic for most of the book. I thought, especially because he kept showing up, mm-hmm. I thought what we were gonna come to find out is that he was jealous yep. and he wanted to be in the play and was gonna become a part of it and like that was gonna be the resolution of the storyline is that he was being a, a bully and I, I think it's really important that we are clear that what he was doing was just straight up bullying and nobody was calling that out. And then we were gonna find out that, you know, it was the the fact that he felt left out because, like, look at all this fun that they're having. And so they made him a part of it. And, you know, maybe it didn't, like, make him a, a – magically make him the better, a better, much better human. Mm-hmm. But at least sort of soften those edges and, like – but again, I, and now that I'm sit, talking that out, I don't know how much I love the messaging. Well, all bullies just want to be right. accepted. So be nice to them and then, you know. But the ultimate resolution be better. could have been – James standing up for himself, you know, yes. it, it, it could have, Zach could have remained the same piece of shit from 
point A to point B. I keep saying point A to point B in this episode. For page one to page 120, whatever number of pages there are, he could have been a shithead the entire time. But if James had ended the B plot with him saying, you know what, Zach? I like hanging out with the, the Perkins girls. I like making plays with my friends. I don't want to be your friend. Please don't bother me anymore. Or something like yes. that. Like, give or James some e- opportunity to to tell this kid to hit the road. 100%. Give James the agency and that makes all the difference. Exactly. Or even better, have the babysitters talk to James and give him the confidence and courage yeah. to have that agency. So then at least it's, you know, in, in, in line with our themes. Or even... Like a combination of the two, where James stands up to him and he's like, you know what? You're just bullying me because you're jealous because look how fun this is and you just you're you don't know what you're missing out on. And then encouraging Zach to be a part of it and have Zach have a little bit of a change of heart and be like, You were right, James. This is fun. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I was wrong. You know, have instead of having James be the one to learn the lesson, have, you know, Zach learn of a little bit of a lesson too. I mean, either or. I would take either option. I mean, honestly, I would take anything where there is any kind of acknowledgement or agency from frickin' anybody right. in the in the storyline. Especially, they make a point to say that there were adults at that last performance. So there wasn't a single adult that said, hey, no, this none of this is cool. Yep. I, I don't know. Well, I'm, we, we're both getting a little bit more fired up than I thought I would <laughs> I know. be about. I thought this would be just sort of like, oh, you know, it was fine <laughs> discussion. And clearly we had more thoughts that we didn't necessarily recognize until we got into the conversation. And you know what? That's one of my very favorite things about being able to have these conversations is that it does so deepen it because, mm-hmm. I mean, tying it back to that binge versus – Dragging it out, dragging it out sounds terrible, but like <laughs> slow roll. Yeah. Um, uh, for shows, I think that there is really something to be said for having conversations, whether it's, you know, a, a, a podcast like this, but like a book club or even just, you know, sitting down and talking to someone about something that you've read or watched or engaged with that allows you to help engage with it in a deeper way mm-hmm. that I think is so powerful that I think that that's something that the binge culture, I, I mean, I mentioned water cooler moments. You know, we don't have as many of those shared. Oh, my God. I mean, I just – Grey's Anatomy is still on the air. Good Lord. But I remember, you know, when the bomb happened in episode in season two, how, like, that was just, like, everybody was talking about it. It was parodied everywhere. And everybody – it was a cultural moment that everybody was having a conversation. And then it's too quick and gone. So I think there really is something to be – or now things, you know, it's gone by the next weekend because there's another thing out that mm-hmm. everybody's – talking about and moved on to. So I think that there really is something to be said for us having these in-depth conversations that allow us to tap into the books in a slightly deeper way that even when we do think it's a book where we're just kind of like, eh, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was fine. And then when we dig into it, really be able to find the things that we really like and and really, I don't want to I hesitate to say things that I don't like because it's not that I don't like them. Mm-hmm. I just want more from right. it. I and And, and again, We've we've had this conversation and debate, and we'll continue, I'm sure, too. But, you know, how much of that is the adult perspective? How much of that is the 2022 perspective? <laughs> right. You know, there are uh, – and, and 2022 perspective in terms of media savvy and as well as, like, cultural right. shifts. You know, uh, there's a lot 
and authorial intent, which is a, a, a phrase I never thought I'd say in reference to the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> but certainly when they conceived of this series and, and certainly when they were writing it, I don't think Anna Martin or Mary Lou Kennedy in this case was sitting there thinking, gee, I hope some 30-somethings one day sit down and really like <laughs> <laughs> right. dissect my plot and like talk about themes <laughs> and grooming and narcissists <laughs> and they're like, you know. I don't think that that was the original intention, but I love the fact that it's there. And I, I think even when I do come away more f- frustrated in like I am in, in this book, I still love that mm-hmm. because it means there's so much there there. It is there, whether it's, you know, was intended that to be that way or whether it was on the surface or or not. But there are certainly, I mean, look at all of the series that were either copycats or in the, you know, the same type of thing that was happening with the Babysitter's Club. We, we've talked about, you know, many of those other ones, Saddle Club and Boxcar Children mm-hmm. and Sweet Valley to a, to a degree, Lurleen McDaniel to a degree. But those like types of continuing series that were all the rage in that time period, there's a reason that the Babysitter's Club is one that still endures and that still gets really talked about mm-hmm. and is still getting adaptations as opposed to, I mean, it really is, I would say, the most enduring of all of those. Probably Sweet Valley High would be next. I, I think people still talk about that. There's still, I see that in the zeitgeist more than certainly like boxcar children mm-hmm. or, you know, sleepover friends was the one that I <laughs> right. loved. I think we've mentioned that because the main character's name was Lauren Hunter and I loved that. <laughs> but I, I think there's a reason that the Babysitter's Club is endured. And this is it. The fact that we can have these mm-hmm. conversations, even when it does end up with us feeling frustrated. Right. No, definitely agree. Wow, it just got all philosophical there. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that means we should definitely switch it up and start with some of our random observations. Do you have anything else big about the main plots or themes? No, I think I'm I'm ready for some random observations. Well, I have to start things off by saying, I know this book is called Dot and the Older Boy, and she is talking to a 16-year-old. But there is a 37-year-old on the cover of this book. (laughs) That is one of my – I legitimately wrote – um, the quote unquote older boy on the cover looks like a fucking 40 year old man. <laughs> like that is yes, not a 16 year old child. No, I was like, I, I look, pulled up the cover and I was like, whoa, Don and the older boy. I was like, I was already nervous with that picture. And then when we started to get into the grooming right. territory, I was like, whoa, yeah, Don and I was the like, man. are we going to find out? Yeah. I was like, are we going to find out he's secretly a 25 year old predator, like posing as like a Josie Grossy <laughs> never been kissed situation where he's planting himself in high school and then falls in love with the kid. Oh, just gross. Just gross. But yeah, that, that if I don't know. When they get around to updating the cover, I'm sure it's it's very different. Yes. But if you have not seen the original original Hodges Soleil cover for this book, oh well, we should post it uh, because it's it's wild. Yeah. The, well, this, it'll it'll is, be in the it? the episode post. On oh yeah, Instagram. that's right. So the the cover yeah. will be available. Don and the older man. Don and the middle aged man. <laughs> yeah. Don and the geriatric. Ah. <laughs> uh. I will say one of my random observations, and I did appreciate this teachable moment. So when Dawn sees uh, Travis and Sarah coming out for the first time, she instantly gets, like, angry at Sarah, and she's like, I hated her. But she does say, Mm -hmm. you know, I hated her on sight, and then I stopped and reminded myself that it wasn't her fault she was gorgeous, and it wasn't her fault that Travis liked her. I think that that was a really nice, you know, throwaway. Maybe it could have been Mm -hmm. highlighted a little bit more, but I think that that was a good message for kids reading this. Like, just because – you like the same person that someone else likes doesn't mean that the other person 
that likes the same person as you is automatically mm-hmm. bad and you should hate them. Like, agree. You know, just everybody can like who they like. It doesn't mean that you should hate them. <laughs> the end. <laughs> and and hating someone for for reasons that they can't control, like their looks right. or you know who they are as a person, and. I wish, like I said, I highlighted a little bit more. I think the one thing that could have like bumped it up just a, a notch for me would have been if Don recognized that Sarah's relationship with Travis and, and had nothing to do with Don at all. Right. Don was not you know, like a thing for Sarah. And that I think would have helped too with the whole uh, why hate someone who it's not like you're, she even knows that we're in competition. Right. She's not doing anything wrong. Yeah. She's uh, not having a relationship with Travis at you. It's just something she's doing. Ex- and exactly. you are reacting to that happening. And you're entitled to your feelings. But it's not Sarah's fault that you're sad that Travis doesn't like you the same way he likes her. Yeah. Also, I had – well, I guess this is more of the main plot. But I had sort of had it as a random observation. I thought the – like whole, I'm going to call you and confront you and tell you that you're a bad person phone call was totally unnecessary. Yes. <laughs> like it almost made Dawn look worse. Like she would have looked stronger as a character if she would have just been like, okay, fuck yeah, that we're guy. done. And like, and moved on. But like the feeling, the need to call him up and been like, you were really terrible to me just feels felt very childish in a way that they try not to be. Mm-hmm. And I, I, the irony is that that they thought it was so mature. And that's why I had it sort of more as a random yeah. observation because we have those like babies versus immaturity versus what they think of as maturity and what we think of as maturity. I think that that was, that was one of those times when she thought the mature thing to do was going to be to tell him off. Right. When the real mature thing to do would be just walk away, uh, ignore it and yeah, move on. Yeah. So I thought that that was a, a fun little, well, I don't know how how fun it was <laughs> right. based on the rest of the plot, but I thought that was a, a nice little tie-in to some of those continuing themes that we see. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I think the only other – I have two, like, basically just, like, one-sentence kind of things as random thoughts. The first is I just love – so we get – I didn't even mention it in the summary because it really means literally nothing. Chrissy is babysitting for her siblings, and they play going camping, and they use a, yes. a pair of fake teeth to do Morse code. <laughs> And I just like like yes. a pair of like Halloween teeth. I was just like, that is such like a fun like reference. It I mean it it doesn't mean literally anything in the overall scheme of the book, but like I just when they said that I was like, oh, I really like that. That's fun. It's cute. I liked it. I thought that was really cute. You know, sometimes we talk about how there's only so much time in the book. Some of those, you know, random asides, we wish they would have been used to further the main plot. But in a book like this, like taking a moment to just sit and embrace Karen's creativity and the way that Christy gets involved with that and that, you know, how it becomes a whole family affair and they all get to enjoy each other. Mm-hmm. I, I really, I, that was such a lovely moment. I, I thought that was really nice. I agree completely. Yeah. And then my only other one, when we start the book, they're at a sleepover at Christy's house, which obviously means they stayed up late, but Dawn sleeps mm-hmm. in until 11. And I just, even staying up super late, I don't see her as a sleep in kind of person. Me either. And I did like that, that that she was the one who was like, hey, guys, get out of bed. But I I buy that she would have been up at nine and been like, hey, guys, get up and out of bed <laughs> um, as opposed to 11. I, actually, I think Marianne's the one who's like, guys, you've wasted half the day, which is also a little surprising. I do see her as like a, an earlier riser, but not necessarily as early as I would see Dawn being a, a wake up early person. 
I think it was, I read it as Dawn was the one who got it started and was like trying to rouse everybody. And then Marianne was the one who like actually woke up and like got, came onto her side. It doesn't really matter either way. I agree. 11 was excessive, but although I did like all of the sleepover stuff was really fun. Mm -hmm. The makeovers and the Stacy being sure to know how to do Marianne's hair and Marianne hating it, but not knowing how to tell her. (laughs) I thought that was really cute and really well observed. Speaking of, there are a couple of things in that 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 stood out as um, random observations for me. One was, speaking of Stacy, we get a little bit more foreshadowing of her, you know, not feeling well. And this is now a number of books. Mm-hmm. I keep expecting that to pay off sooner. And well, I know that you know for a fact that it doesn't in our next book. <laughs> because, but, you know, I keep, this is the really the only like really long-term foreshadowing or plot line mm. that we've really had going on. Um, we do get Lewis, like you you mentioned, I agreed with you. I think that I don't remember him at all, but I feel like they're setting him up mm-hmm. to at least a book in the near future that he's going to come to town and have some kind of a something happen between Dawn and Marianne and Logan and Lewis. And that I- I'm curious where that's going. Yeah. But the big thing that I wanted to point out is when introducing Stacy, Don talks about, you know, how they're divorced and the move to New York and blah, blah, blah. And then there was a sentence where I literally had my jaw on the floor. She says, about a year later, Stacy's parents divorced and moved back. And I was like, <laughs> um, we are within the same year. Right. So what are you talking what about? What in the actual fuck? Like, I get – because, yes, that is a timeline that would make sense. Right. <laughs> Not, like, a book later. Right? It's so uh, – that made me – that drove me absolutely up a wall. I almost had to – I, like, had to set the book down for a second. I was like, okay, we're, like, we're like pages in. Breathe. <laughs> but I was like, what? What? No, you cannot do that to me. I mean, it is one thing to have 13 Halloween dances and just pretend like the other ones didn't happen. It is another to blatantly refer to events that happened books ago as <laughs> when they are in the same grade as happy- taking place over a year. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just, oof. Talk about blood pressurizing. My only other random observation at all was they did explicitly refer to the tunnels this time as Underground Railroad, which we remember we noted last time that it was they talked about it as prohibition and we speculated that it was originally left over underground that they'd use for prohibition and now they did bring in the underground railroad thing so i knew i remembered mm-hmm. that but it's interesting that's not how it was intro- it originally introduced which i know we talked about yeah. in that ghost well Dance i don't house think that they've first. confirmed i think that was just it's added as like another maybe that was what it was used for correct but more just it became part of the conversation right. that it hadn't to this point, but I, I felt vindicated that I knew I remembered they had talked <laughs> about it as Underground Railroad. So my guess is that's how they'll continue to refer to it in the like when they describe Dawn lives in an old farmhouse. Mm-hmm. It even might be haunted. There, you know, whatever, and and move away from the prohibition, which makes more sense because I don't, it, you know, a bunch of thirteen year olds talking about bootleggers and illegal bathtub gin, and you know, right. Underground Railroad is more in fitting with. The things that we talk about in the book series. Yeah. So that was really it for me in terms of um, observations. But there wasn't a, a ton of other, like, fun little details that sometimes get sprinkled in in the introductions. But I did thought that they do a really good job of, of integrating it again. And I know we talked about that. Was it in the super special? Mm-hmm. Where the introductions felt more integrated. I thought it not as well as the super special, but I thought it did a better job here. And a sleepover felt like a really organic time to yeah. have that like 
here's who each of these people are, rather than, let me tell you about my friends. So like you were saying, there weren't a lot of like asides. There also was like almost no fashion, which I think is sort of keeping in how Dawn's books usually go. We don't typically get a lot of fashion from her. But I did want to discuss Claudia's first outfit because it's a doozy and definitely love it. So Claudia is one of those people who can wear anything and get away with it. Today, for example, she had stuck to two colors, black and white. Black cotton bib overalls over a white turtleneck with a shiny black patent leather belt looped around her waist. Black suede ankle boots and white cotton socks. Long black hair swept off her face with a giant white plastic barrettes. Anyone else would look like a penguin in that getup, but Claudia looked great. Ah, love it. Would totally wear that. Hands down. Love it. Love it. And the other outfits we get are pretty generic. You know, Christy's basic (laughs) turtleneck, tennis shoes, jeans, and, you know, Dawn wearing a a blue button down and not a lot of great fashion in this one, sadly. But we at least got one good Claudia outfit. Indeed. And then lots of, you know, blue stuff for Dawn to match her eyes. But, you know, she doesn't really talk about the actual fashion of it. I was a little surprised that we didn't get more, but, but the... The Claudia one was almost enough to make yeah, up for definitely. a lack of other fashion. Well, there's really nothing left for us to do but talk about next week, which I know you are so excited to do. So I I will, <laughs> we have mentioned many times, I don't remember this book. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Ms. Vlasic. Well, you know, as I've said, basically from the beginning, this is the book I've been looking forward to the most. I'm a little concerned about how I'm going to feel after we actually do it. I mean, obviously, I'm still going to love talking about the books, but I'm not going to have this one hanging over our heads as like in the future. But Christie's Mystery Admirer, my favorite Babysitter's Club book, the one that I had Anna Martin autograph when she came to the Hudson Library when I was a child that I still have, which is like mm. one of the one of the few that I was able to hang on to when my mom decided to give all my books away because obviously it was on it was signed by Anna Martin, so I had to keep it. Yes, this is the book where Christy starts getting secret admirer, mystery admirer, if you will, (laughs) letters in her mailbox. I think at one point one gets delivered to Shannon's house. So Shannon brings it over. That's the picture on the cover. You know, there's heart stickers and there's, you know, just a nice note and it's from a mystery admirer. She gets a few of them. She thinks they are probably from Bart and she's excited, at least to a certain degree, but she brings them to school to show all of her friends and isn't very secretive about showing them around. And then she starts getting creepier and creepier versions of these letters. They look the same. They're the same, you know, envelope color. I think they're maybe red envelopes or something. And they're stickers. And the the notes just keep getting creepier and creepier, including one that has fingernail clippings in it. That is the thing that I remember <sighs> most from this book. And so you know, we, we've, we've got this. Christy is, you know, trying to figure out if Bart is now trying to psych her out because there's going to be a Bashers Crushers softball game on Halloween. All of the kids are going to dress up for it, including the cheerleaders dressing up as the Three Stooges and one of the girls' pants fall down <laughs> while they're cheering. Another thing that I always remember because I was like, oh so my cute. God, I can't believe their pants fell off. I mean, I think they're wearing stuff under them. It's not like inappropriate. But so she thinks maybe... <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think so. Yeah, right. So, you know, she initially thinks maybe Bart likes her and you know is trying to maybe ask her out on a real date or something and then with the shift in the letters she thinks maybe Bart is trying to you know psych her out before this softball game and then as the notes get creepier and creepier she's like maybe he's actually like gonna murder me maybe he's a serial killer <laughs> who knows <laughs> ultimately and unsurprisingly we find out that 
Cookie Mason is responsible for the creepy oh. letters. And uh, it's because I think it references back to the time with Old Man Hickory's grave where they, you know, tricked mm-hmm. her and her friends and embarrassed her in front of Logan. She's doing this as revenge for that. And then ultimately, Christy asks Bart to go to the Halloween dance with her because, you know, they've resolved everything. Everything's fine. You know, he's not trying to murder her. (laughs) And I feel like the book ends with a sleepover at Christy's house. Somebody isn't able to go to the dance. Maybe Claudia isn't allowed to go to the dance because of she's either babysitting or there's, you know, schoolwork things and her parents won't let her go. And Oh, no, no, no. It's not Claudia. Shannon doesn't go to the dance because she doesn't go to their school. So she spends the time before the sleepover cutting out letters from magazines and making a, like, ransom note. And then she puts in Christie's bed to scare her. (laughs) And that's how the book ends with them, you know, at a sleepover at Christie's house getting freaked out. And the one other thing to note. So Claudia and Stacey are not dressing up in costumes for the Halloween dance because they want to go all out. They want to look great. They're trying to help Christy pick out an outfit. And Bart calls while they're at her house and says that his parents have lobster costumes. So Christy comes back. They're like talking about what her makeup could be, what she could wear. She grabs like rouge or lipstick and just covers her whole face. And she's like, what about this for the dance? And they're like, no. And she explains, we're going to be lobsters. (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm so excited to talk about this book. I haven't read it in years, but obviously it is burned into my brain because it is one that I have been obsessed with since I read it the first time, and I cannot wait to talk about it. (laughs) I'm so excited because I genuinely don't remember this one at all. Like Some of the stuff you were saying is ringing a bell, but not like I have no memory for myself. If you would have asked me what it was about, I would have guessed Pete Black. (laughs) <laughs> was a rival for Bart's affections. So I, I love, and oh God, our girl Koki, but just really bringing it back to the timeline. Girl holds a grudge because apparently it's been a year plus since Old Hickory's grave and she's uh, st- still plotting her revenge. So. And, and I don't think we've seen her since then. So it, you know, no, it's been like, it, it's been like a year, but there haven't been any other interactions with Koki that we're aware of. So she really is, like you said, she's holding a grudge. She's, she really doesn't like getting made fun of or being embarrassed in front of Logan. Uh, yep. I buy that. I'll, I'll That's fair. I'm bored with that level of, of pettiness and vindictiveness. <laughs> Especially from is, Koki Mason. Is, exactly. It's what we want out of a Koki Mason. Very true. Okay. Well, I guess, do you have any other thoughts, questions, comments, concerns about this book or otherwise? Nope. I just think it's time that we remind everybody where to find us. That's on Instagram, Twitter, at Generation BSC, or you can email us at generationbsc at gmail.com. We actually got a really, really lovely letter from a reader recently that was was really wonderful. So thank you for everyone who who writes and shares. We do read all of those mm-hmm. and they, they mean a lot. So we look forward to hearing from you. Definitely. Since there's no other Final Club business, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your